If you've ever thought of quilting your own projects but just don't know where to start, I have the perfect first steps for you. I've put together a PDF guide. I call it Three Steps Toward Freehand Freedom. These are the baby steps, but they can help you move past your overwhelm and show you that yes indeed, freehand quilting can be learned. So if you'd like to snag this PDF, there's a link in the show notes, or if you're an Instagram user, just message me three steps. That's the number three, S-T-E-P-S, and I'll send you that link. Let today be the day you get started. This, I think, is something that quilters and crafters honestly excel at because we know that that's where good ideas come from. Looking at the things that you do have and thinking of different ways to use them, to apply them. Welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast where we hear quilters and other crafter stories and draw encouragement and even life lessons from them. I'm your host, Susan Smith, and I'm coming to you from my quilting studio, Stitched by Susan. This is where my long arm, Lucy, and I spend a lot of our days doing freehand, edge-to-edge quilting. If you're not a quilter and those terms are Greek to you, it's basically doodling on the surface of a quilt with a 50-pound writing pencil with needle and thread attached at high speed. And if you are a machine quilter, I have a resource for you that I think you will love. Quilted feathers have always been eye-catching from a century ago when they were being hand-quilted to recent years where you're seeing beautiful, intricate, highly detailed feathers on show quilts. But they can also be kind of intimidating. They can really be challenging to quilt. Well, because I love edge-to-edge quilting, I have designed this all-over meandering type of feather that you can cover an entire quilt top with. No stopping, no starting, no worrying about borders or seam allowances, just quilting that feather. And so I've composed a class that will show you how to achieve these graceful flowing feathers. So it goes from the very basic feather shape to getting even coverage on the quilt, to avoiding awkward corners, even customizing some little details. So it's all here in the class, and I'll walk you through it and demo the quilting for you step by baby step. So to get access to that class, just go to my website, stitchedbysusan.com, and a sign-up form will pop up. It is absolutely free, but you do need to register to get the login information for it, and you can go back and watch it as many times as you like. So enjoy that. It's called the All Over Feather. Today's episode is going to be a little different from my usual interview style episodes. If you were listening last week to the Dave and Susan, the inside scoop episode, you know that we had a very frank discussion about our journey as entrepreneurs and in particular in the last 18 months or so when we've been learning and trying a lot of new things, including podcasting. And we had some difficulty with our hard drives and our data, and so it's off at the doctors being restored to us. But in the meantime, I currently don't have access to all of my pre-recorded episodes. So today you get a kind of special one. I'm going to be talking about some of the lessons that I've learned from a quilter, and that quilter is my mother. So stay tuned for that. And once again, if you didn't hear last week's episode, it's a really candid talk between Dave and I about some of the things that we've learned and some of the challenges we've faced as entrepreneurs together. So have a listen to that. It's called Dave and Susan, The Inside Scoop. 
Today's Pins and Needles is brought to you by The Will and Dave Show. Hi, I'm the Will half of The Will and Dave Show, a short little podcast that myself and the eponymous Dave like to record talking about the things that really matter to us, whether that's social, political, or pop culture. Usually we don't see eye to eye, but more often than not, we can find some common ground in there somewhere. And now, back to Pins and Needles with a quick tip for all you sharp quilters out there. Today's little tip is not particularly a practical skill. It's more a mindset. And you know, mindset is a word that's batted around quite a bit and you don't often see it in relation to quilting stashes. But here's my view of a quilter's mindset. Use what you have. I know a lot of us have practiced this over recent months when for various reasons there have been shortages in some of our quilt shops or the inability to travel or go to them. And so it's been a good practice, a good exercise, I think, for all of us to look more creatively at the supplies that we have on hand, whether it's fabric or whether it's tools or whether it's embellishments, whatever the case may be, and learn to use imaginatively the things that we have on hand. So I encourage you in that endeavor. I think that it helps us to grow and it, you know, necessity, they say, is the mother of invention, right? So it helps us to imagine new things when we've got those boundaries. I only have these things to work with. What can I make with them? So go forth and create. You know I love my coffee. If you are interested in supporting this podcast, go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash stitched by Susan. There for the price of a delicious coffee, you're able to make a one-time contribution. I thank you so much for your support. And maybe take a moment now to refill your cup as you settle back to enjoy today's episode. I want to pay tribute to my mom. Her name was Mary. My mom passed away over 25 years ago, and I was still in my 20s, actually, so we didn't get a lot of time together as adults. Nevertheless, I learned so many life lessons from my mom, and she did not teach by telling. She taught by example. So today, I thought I would share with you some of the lessons that have stayed with me throughout my lifetime and have proven to wear well if you will. My mom had a saying, it seems like, for every occasion, so you'll probably hear those sprinkled throughout the episode today. And maybe you hear them in my YouTube channel presentations, too. I often have little pithy comments, and most of those originated with my mom. I think one of the first things that I learned from mom was being frugal. And she grew up in a time when I guess she would have been in her early teens during the Second World War. And she grew up in a farming community too. So she knew the value of making do, of stretching, you know, not only a dollar, but a penny, a really, really long ways. And that habit stayed with her throughout her entire life. She was never one to go and buy the new thing. She was always one to use what she had to figure out a way Um, And just frugality was at the heart of her nature. And I have learned that from my mom. I tend to have few tools in my sewing room, for example, because a very few basic ones will usually stand me in good stead for almost anything that I'm doing. And I learned that directly from my mom. And on the heels of that, 
she really taught me not to waste. And this, you know, again, was just second nature for her. It's not a thing that she said, but it was the little things like turning out the lights when you left a room, um, having short thread tails when you were trimming the threads at the end of a seam, those sorts of things. They're very small, but don't you think they add up? And again, that has just stuck with me for all these years. I still tend to use that in my day-to-day activities. I, you know, turn the faucet off, um, don't run water for long periods of time, all those things. It just shines through still to this day, many years later. And her philosophy too was very much use what you have. So in my pins and needles, I referred to this. This, I think, is something that quilters and crafters honestly excel at because we know that that's where good ideas come from is from looking at the things that you do have and thinking of different ways to use them to apply them fresh new ideas of things to make with them but for mom it was very much a um a way of life i guess and it came through in everything from her fabric choices for quilts I can remember, for example, would have probably been in the 70s. There was a kind of fabric called, well, we called it crimpoline. I think that was a brand name, but it's also called double knit. And it's 100% polyester and it's stretchy and it doesn't fray and you can't kill it. Like you can wash it and wash it and wash it and wash it and it will never fade and never wear out. And in fact, I have a picnic blanket that my mom made I don't even know how many years ago, but all from those polyester fabrics. And, you know, I think probably in the 70s. And it is still going hard, going strong. I don't think that it will ever wear out. I'll be passing it on to my grandkids. So she was that way with fabrics. Use what you have. Use whatever colors you've got. Surprising color combinations appeared in our quilt sometimes. She was like that with her tools. We didn't have any fancy templates. And this would have been... Um, before the days of rotary cutters when my mom was sewing. But, you know, we didn't even have great sewing scissors. We just had the household scissors. And that's what we cut out our quilt pieces with. So very simple stuff. Um, Her sewing machine. I have it to this day, actually. My dad gave her a sewing machine for their engagement gift in 1954. And I still have that treadle sewing machine and still use it. But she sewed clothes for us and many, many, many a quilt on that trusty sewing machine. And I never saw in her a hankering to go off and buy the newest, shiniest one. She was just super content with that sturdy workhorse. And I love that machine and sew on it to this day. I think of simpler things that she made do with. One of them was lighting. Um, Again, I keep referring back to other episodes, but in the very first podcast episode, I was reminiscing with my sister, and we were talking about our childhood years where we were pioneering, basically, and we lived in a log house, and we did not have running water or electricity, and... Obviously, then we did not have electric lights either. And so what we had were propane lights. And some of you may remember these that had a little mantle that you screwed onto them and you would light that mantle and turn on the propane. And that was our source of lights, particularly in evenings or winter evenings. And it was modest lighting at best. And it's amazing the amount of crafting that my mom was able to do using that really subpar lighting. But you know, she was 100% content with it. It was better than a lamp. It was one step up from that. Let's see, what other lessons did I learn from mom? One of them would have been 
why buy something when you can make or do it yourself? I think I can probably count on one hand the number of times growing up that we had purchased bread in the house. My mother always made homemade bread. And I know how to make bread. I've chosen not to because then I eat it. And if you've ever eaten fresh bread straight out of the oven, you'll know what I mean. It's impossible to resist. So for me, that's something I have let go because I just don't want to consume that much bread. But that was my mom's mentality. Why buy bread when you can make it with very inexpensive ingredients? Another one that she made a lot was yogurt. Also very easy to make, and I do this one to this day. You can make a couple quarts of yogurt for the cost of a half a gallon of milk, $1.50, and it's so delicious and so good and so easy. So why buy it when you can make it, right? This carried through, too, to other things besides crafting. Um, Things like curtains for our home. And I'm speaking of our home, meaning Dave and I. A couple of years ago, we had purchased a house and I went searching for pretty drapes to put in our bedroom. And I wanted a specific color and kind of a specific style. And I went shopping here and there and online. And you know, the best price I could find for our two windows was about $900. And I thought to myself, I could make those. You knew that was coming, didn't you? And so, of course, that's what I did. I went and purchased, you know, the fabric, the lining, et cetera, et cetera, and was able to make the same beautiful drapes, possibly even better quality than the ones I was looking at in a store for just a fraction of the price. And I thought when I did it, this is so what my mom would have done. I know it is. She would have thought, why buy it when I can make it? I really appreciate when I see crafters doing that to this day. I know during the Christmas season, I've been watching some little YouTube shorts and things like that. And I see people making the most amazing things, making their tree skirts, making the tags for their gifts. And I just love that mentality. It's not only about being frugal. It's also about being personal. And things that you've made with your own hands are such treasures. And I don't know if my mom could have put that to words, but I think that she understood that too, that those are the meaningful things, the things that you have made or baked with your own hands are so, so precious. Another saying that my mom had was a stitch in time saves nine. And back in her day, and even in my childhood, you saw a lot more of mending and repairing than you kind of do in the current day and age, we tend now to be much more when it's when it's worn out, we just toss it out. But my mom was very much a mender. So if your sock got a hole in it, she had a darning, a wooden darning egg, and she had a selection of yarns in her basket, and she'd be weaving, you know, patching that hole with some woven thread. She was very much about a stitch in time saves nine. And I'm sure you can translate that Um, into your sewing to know what that means. If you do the mending or the repair or the fix early on, much easier than if you wait a lot longer and then it's a lot bigger and a lot more difficult. And of course, that translates into lots of things in our lives, not just our crafts, right? A stitch in time saves nine. Here's another one. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. That too was just something that my mom absolutely lived by, not something she ever told me or scolded me about, just something that she did by example. 
If you were going to sew an apron or a dress, it was worth taking the time to zigzag the edges of the fabric so that they wouldn't fray, so that it would wear well. It was worth taking the time to iron said apron so that it looked crisp and fresh. If you were going to wear it, it might as well look as good as it possibly could. And I treasure those times. I have so many memories. The aprons just trigger so many memories for me. Mom had a whole system of starching and moistening and spraying and then pressing her aprons. And I think she probably wore an apron every day of her adult life. They were kind of, you know, the tool. They were used to to wipe little runny noses probably, but at least little teary eyes for sure. And they were used to carry in the eggs from the hen house and maybe the fresh vegetables from the garden. And of course, they kept your clothes from getting soiled. That was very traditional. But my mom had a whole sort of wardrobe of aprons and I love them. And on the heels of that, I have a bundle of patterns that came from my mom, but they were collected from various people that she knew. And they were apron patterns because in her generation, this was a thing that many women did, and particularly in her community, which was a farming area. And so women would exchange these apron patterns, and usually they were just copied onto newsprint. So I think some of the oldest ones I have date back to the 40s. And it's kind of an interesting um, puzzle. They're not a thousand piece puzzles, but they have quite a few pieces to them. But it's an interesting puzzle to fold out those apron patterns and try to figure out how to make the apron. Because in most cases, I don't have the pictures that go with them. So I don't really know what the end result is that we're looking for. But there are a couple that I either remember mom wearing or they're simple enough I've been able to figure them out. And if you happen to want one of those aprons from a vintage pattern. I do have one pattern for sale in my Etsy shop and it's called the Mary apron. So have a look at that. And there are at least some pictures there if you want to see what that looks like. And it's what we call the half apron. So it just starts at the waist and goes down. It doesn't have the upper part. So the Mary apron that was recreated directly from one of those newsprint copies of my mom's. And I should add here, if any of you are master apron sewers or remember your mom's wearing them, reach out to me because I do still have a number of these patterns that I have not been able to puzzle out. And I just don't know how the pieces fit together. And I hate for those to never be recorded or kept for upcoming generations. So I would love to puzzle those out. So if you're interested in a puzzle, let me know. Another memory that is so clear is of my mom doing her various crafts and not being in a hurry. So she was not about turning out multiple finished projects. She was just about sitting in winter evenings in her crafting chair under her propane light doing some slow stitching. And some of the projects that I remember, um, we used to raise sheep. And I remember her carding, which is kind of combing the wool from those sheep. And she actually spun the yarn and then proceeded to knit that yarn into mittens, hats, even socks for the men in our family. And I have quite a few brothers. So there were lots of men in our family to be knitting socks and hats for. Mom was a hand quilter too. So all those quilts that we pieced on the treadle sewing machine, she hand quilted. And my sister and I learned to hand quilt as well. 
But for mom, her frame style was the big and bulky kind. Some of you may remember hand quilting frames that came in various shapes and sizes, and some were more compact than others. But for my mom, she preferred the kind where you stretched out the whole quilt flat, and there was tension across all four sides of it so that you knew it was smooth and flat. And she would pin first the backing of the quilt and get that all stretched out flat, and then lay on the batting, and it was probably, you know, mountain mist, fluffy polyester. <laughs> and then she would put the quilt on top of that and smooth everything out and all the little irregularities because there were a lot remember this was before rotary cutters or nifty trimming rulers and things like that but she would just put tension on that whole thing and smooth it all out and then we would begin to quilt it and we would start from two opposing sides of that big quilt frame and then as you completed a strip along the edge of that frame, then you would roll it up. So it would, if you can picture it, it would be getting narrower and narrower and narrower as you completed the quilt. So a couple things that we enjoyed in that process when we were small children, for sure, we would build forts under those quilting frames. And I don't remember anymore when my mom first got a set of quilting frames or if she had several iterations of them, but the set that I'm picturing in my mind, in which my sister has to this day, were made by one of my brothers. And this was something else that came out of our lifestyle of kind of pioneering, for lack of a better word, is that we learned, everyone, every one of us learned to make do or to sort of think outside the box. And my one brother in particular, I think if he had been born in a different age, he would have been an inventor because that's just the way his mind worked. He was always looking for a solution and he could build the most amazing things. Anyway, he built this quilt frame for my mom and it was completely adjustable as to size, like for how wide or long it was. And also it was adjustable as to height. And it was very simple from an engineering point of view, but he really thought through all the features that mom needed in it and built those into that quilting frame. And it is effective to this day. Uh, we're not much of hand quilters anymore, my sister and I, but you know, we can if we, if we need to. And I would say my mom was among those elite, you know, 12 stitches to the inch type of quilter. I think I'm more like an eight stitch to the inch type of person, but I do still, do still very much enjoy it. So I was talking about the the value that mom saw in slow stitching. And you know, that wasn't a term then. But for her, the winter season was, well, it was just that, a season. And I think this is a life lesson that we could take into many area of us, areas of our life and benefit from thinking about things this way. She was, in the summer, you know, all about the gardening and she loved flowers and so we had flower gardens and we had livestock and things like that so there was a lot going on in the farm and all her crafts for the most part would be put away all summer because it was just so busy there were so many things going on so that was a season but she always knew that come you know the longer winter days and the longer evenings especially that season then out would come the crafts again, out would come the hand quilting or the embroidery or the, you know, knitting with the sheep's wool, those sorts of things. So I think I, I really do feel like I've taken that life lesson forward and maybe I need to revisit that lesson sometimes. It can be 
bewildering sometimes to think of all the things I should be doing, and I ought to do this, and I ought to do that, and it can be freeing to say, you know, in this season, I'm going to let some things go and only focus on these particular things, and then that season will change. So whether it's seasons, as I'm in right now, of building a business, or whether it's a season of maybe you have a newborn in the house, or another season of having teenagers and school kids in the house, maybe it's a season of retirement or travel, these seasons can be refreshing if we can embrace letting some things go and picking other things up. Wow, I didn't know I would wax that philosophical, but there you go. That's one of the big life lessons embrace the seasons of life. Well, I think that will do it for today. It's been fun just kind of rambling and sharing with you some of the things that are the fabric of my life and character. And so many of them were heavily influenced by my mom. I treasure so much my memories of her. So thanks for letting me chat about it. And that's a wrap on my ramblings for today. Thanks for tuning in and letting me ramble on a little bit about some of the life lessons that I learned from my mom and how some of these have just become part of the fabric of my life. If you enjoyed this podcast, do consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or the app of your choice. It really helps other listeners to find the show so they can enjoy these stories too. And I really, really appreciate if you take a moment to do that. Tune in next week where I will be talking again about some of the more current lessons in my life. Until then, may your sorrows be patched and your joys be quilted.